Hi folks, it's Kevin. Just a brief word before the podcast begins. When I started Season 2 of Sascapes, one of the stories I wanted to feature in the series was that of the 60s scoop. Now, if you aren't aware of this rather dark time in Canadian history and culture, I hope by the end of these four episodes you will be. From the early 1960s through the late 1980s, there was a mass removal of Aboriginal children from their families into the child welfare system, and in most cases without the consent of their families or bands. Now, an estimated 20,000 kids were scooped up, hence the name 60 Scoop. Episode 57 launched this series, and this is the continuation of my conversations that I had with four individuals who were taken from their families as children. Yes, they are sad stories, but they are also stories of strength, courage, cultural pride, and forgiveness. I feel very honored to have had the opportunity to sit and listen to these stories, and I believe we have much to learn from them. Joining me for this episode is Lauren Reed. You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you for having me. I am honored to have you. Um, we're now going to be talking about a subject that is um, not the happiest subject to talk about in our culture and heritage in this province and in this country. And I really um, treasure the fact that you've felt comfortable enough to share a little bit about your story. We're, of course, talking about the 60s scoop. I will freely admit that I was ignorant to this part of our history until I first heard this story um, in the media probably about two months ago. And I remember I was driving and I was tearing up when I was hearing it because I had no idea. I was ashamed of myself that I didn't have any idea. You, this is part of your story. So where would you like to begin? Tell me where you were born. I was born in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, okay. in 1976. And um, my family uh, come from a long line of trappers. Their last name is Desjardins, my biological family. And that was pretty much my story. My siblings and my cousins were all raised by our grandparents, while all of our parents, like my aunts and uncles and my mom, went out to the trap line and worked in the camps. And my mom was a baker. Mm. one of the camps and um as what i remember or what i've heard is that social services um the social workers would come every once in a while to talk to my mom and tell her you know we have people that really want to adopt your children that could give them a better life than you could um and they pretty much harassed her for about a year before they came with the police when she was out at camp 
with um, my aunts and uncles. And they came to my grandparents' place and took all of us, all my siblings, my um, my cousins, everyone that was pretty much under the age of 11, I think. When they were first visiting your mom um, and intimidating her, was it common for authorities to just show up? This was a reserve, yeah? No, it was it, a small Métis town okay. called Fort Smith. Okay. So was it common to just waltz into town and... And uh, was it legal to waltz into town and, and sort of do this kind of intimidation tactic? I think it was. Um, they they had a place called the Receiving Home set up in Fort Smith, and it was a big building where they would take the kids and put them in there, uh, girls on one side, boys on the other. I remember vaguely uh, the building because I was four years old at the time, and I remember watching my brother – from across across the playground and not being able to talk to him. Um, I remember all the beds lined up in a row in the girls' dorm, and then there was a great big hall in the middle with the kitchen and, a, like, a dining room hall. This is where they took you? Yeah, this is where they took us. And was that still in that town? Yeah. Was your mother allowed to go? Um, no, I don't think I don't think she was allowed to visit us. Can you tell me about the day that you were taken, what you remember? I don't remember being taken, but I remember being there. And I remember I was there um, with my little sister. And she is a year and a half younger than me. And um, she, she, both her and I were very intelligent at the time. We both knew four different languages, which was French, Machif, English, and Cree. And this was something that you learned through your family. Yeah. My, actually, my, yeah, my grandparents taught us how to speak and speak these languages. And my brother was the one who taught me how to read and write by the time I was four years old. Wow. And um, he was six years old, so he was in grade one, I think. But he was already reading and writing by then, too. And... Um, my little sister, same thing. She knew four different languages. She was speaking really well. And then as time passed in the receiving home, she just stopped speaking. Like she went from talking really quietly to, to talking only to me. And then she just stopped. And at that time, I was the one who was speaking for her. Mm. So people thought that my sister had went mute. Mm. And, and that was just from the trauma of being taken from our family. I'm sure. Um, tell me before this happened, how much you remember of being with your family and some of the, some of the great times that you remember. I remember a birthday party actually, which is, <laughs> I, you know, I'm actually writing a book about my life uh -huh. and um, the more I write, the more I remember Yep. And one of the happy times I remember is going to a birthday party and having all my cousins there, my aunts, my uncles. Um, they're very uh, musical. They're very creative that way. And so there was a lot of music and laughter and love and acceptance and pride in who we were. Mm -hmm. Whose birthday party was it? Do you remember? I believe it was one of my older cousins. Right. Yeah. 
Because you're what, four? Yeah, four years old. Yeah, that's tough for most people to remember. I don't remember. I remember five, but not four. Yeah. So you're in this facility. You've Mm -hmm. been taken. You're not allowed to speak to your brother. That's no. And was that a rule that they told you? I think it was. Um, For what purpose? I have no idea why that is, but I remember the boys' dorm being on the other side, and uh, basically. When we went there, it was my sister and I and some of my female cousins. I don't remember which cousins, but I know that it was my sister and I. that, And we had a baby brother. Uh, his name was Christopher. And there were no babies in that building. So uh-huh. he, he must have been taken to a different home. Wow. Yeah. And how long were you in this facility? You know, I'm not really sure. I'm thinking maybe about half a year, but okay. I and, don't really know. And sorry, I, I during that time, you don't remember seeing your mom? No, I don't remember. I remember specifically the last time I saw her, uh-huh. but I was already adopted by then. Okay, so it was that the next step from you were there for about six months and then you were adopted out? Yeah. What was that day like? Um... I remember before that being afraid because a lot of the other people who were the other kids that were there, their brothers or sisters would leave and not come back. And I remember feeling that fear because my sister and I were together. They had dressed us up in these pretty dresses and brought us to a smaller house. And um, this is where we met. We first met our adopted parents. And... um I remember feeling afraid because I had no clue what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they they were telling us to act properly. And um, these people are going to take care of us. And in my small mind, I was wondering, you know, well, first of all, I don't know what properly means. Right, of course. <laughs> Second of all, what's wrong with my own mom, with mm-hmm. my own family? Like, and you weren't allowed to ask those questions? No, no, we were supposed to just sit there and basically um look nice were they decent to you in this facility hey it's kevin i hope you're enjoying the episode so far just a quick reminder that the sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app or you can stream it from your browser check out the show notes for the link On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Uh, I remember being afraid. I remember uh, one of the women who was working there, what I remember is a steel grip on my arm. Mm. You know, maybe I might have snuck off to see see my brother or something like that. But I remember her dragging me away from him and saying that you can't 
speak to him. So you're there and you're dressed nice and pretty and acting quote unquote proper. And then in come your adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. And to me being small the way I was and, you know, pretty in ground in our um, Métis culture, they just look like two white giants to me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That were going to take us from our family. So it wasn't a good feeling. Right. For And I know my sister was scared because by then it was almost like we had tele, telepathic abilities. Yeah. You know, I could see, read the fear on her face and she wouldn't let go of my hand. This was the sister that wasn't speaking. Mm-hmm. Was she speaking at this point? No. Did the adoptive parents wonder? Why yeah. Did they just assume she was mute? Yeah. The two of you were adopted out together? Yes. Um, it was actually my adopted father's idea not to split us up. Because he saw how close we were and how much we needed each other, so he adopted both of us. If there's any, you know, ray of light in this dreadful story, at least he was decent enough to recognize that. Yes. Um, my adopted dad is a very decent man. I have... There's only a few things that I would change if I could. Right. You know. Now, had your brother that was there already been adopted? Yeah. Him and my baby brother were adopted into um, the Whitford family. Did you have a chance to say goodbye to them? No. No, we left that day and then that was it. So where were you taken? Where was, where was your new home? Um, it was in Fort Smith. My adopted father was uh, working for the National School of Dental Therapy at the time. And what they were doing was setting up schools of dental therapy all over the world. So they, the first one, I think, was in Fort Smith. And then he went to Pond Inlet and Africa and Nepal, all over the world. So you weren't that far when you were adopted out from your family? No. And would you see them? No, we weren't, um, they didn't allow us to visit with our family. Um, the last time I saw my mother, we were at a baseball game and she was walking by, she knew that we were there and she was walking by and she was on the other side of of this six, eight foot tall fence. And, um, we weren't allowed, I remember looking up at her and she told me, to remember that where we came from and that we don't really belong to these people, that we belong to her and to the Desjardins family and to be proud of who we were. And if I ever missed her, I was supposed to, she said, be really still and maybe you can hear me singing, hmm. you know? And, and um, I think at that time, my next memory of that is Leanne, my little sister, was crying, wanting to hold her and, yeah. you know, go home with her. And I asked my mom, when are you coming to get us? Like, can you can you come and get us? And she said, no, you guys have to stay with her, with them. And she said, I'll pray for you all the time. And when you get older, come back and find me. And um, And then my cousin, an older cousin who was with her, I climbed up over the fence and dropped over a box of bugles. 
Oh. And I, I guess at the time that was like one of my favorite oh, treats. Right. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That must have been a dreadful day for her as well. Yeah. I, I have two children of my own. Mm-hmm. And just the picture of, you know, your kids being so close that you can't hold them because you're, there's a fence in the middle of it. It's so ironic, like, that. that's how, kind of, like, how our life turned out. Yeah. You know, even now, I've met my biological mother when I was in my early 20s. And it, there still is a gap there. It's like there still is a fence there. Well, you've missed some of the most important years of your life, the yeah. formative years of your life. When did you find your mom? When did you have the opportunity to seek her out? Well, what happened is her younger sister, my Auntie Dorothy, had called every spink that she could find in Canada and finally found us, my sister and I. And my adopted mother, I guess she hung up on her every time and wouldn't let her talk to us. And then finally, I think it was Leanne, my sister, that answered the phone. And was talking to her, and and uh, and then my adopt or my biological mother, her name is Sarah. She um, she paid for our bus tickets to go over and meet her. So you were living still in? No, no, no. Uh, we actually, I'm sorry. You, had you moved? Yes, uh, there was a lot of forest fires oh, in that area, yeah. and I remember driving away in my dad's. Um, white Chevy van, uh-huh. uh, the ones with no seats in it, you know, back then when you didn't yeah. <laughs> really have to wear a seatbelt and right. there was two windows out the back. And what we did was we were moving to Prince Albert okay. at the time. And I think I was six years old about, and, um, we had blankets on the floor of the van. And I remember looking out the window and smelling the smell of, um, fire, forest fire, uh-huh. And watching, like, the town grow smaller and smaller as we drove away. And knowing in my small heart that that I wouldn't come back there for a really long time. Right. And so I just laid down on my sister's lap and I just cried my eyes out. And she just, you know. Was your sister speaking by then? Um, very, not very much. No, she was still, I think she was. It took her a while to get out of that, where she started talking again. So your Auntie Dorothy found you in Prince Albert? Yes. Yeah. How did you get away? Um, At that time, I was 20, so I was already on my own. Leanne happened to be at the house when she called. And um, she had just sent us the money, and we we left. But did uh, did did your adoptive parents know you were leaving? No, you we, were, away. we were estranged by then, basically. Uh, my adoptive father was still traveling a lot, not with, um, not with his work, but just they were having their own marital, marital problems, so he was gone a lot. And um, So you weren't was, living with them? No, I was actually kicked out when I was 18, on, ki- on my 18th birthday. My that- adopted mother kicked me out, yeah. Because? Well, I'm an adult. She's not really my mother. Um, It's time to take care of myself now. 
Those are the reasons why she gave what she gave me. Did your adoptive parents ever indicate that they were aware of just how terrible the circumstance of taking you away from your family was? Did they, was, did a light bulb ever go on for them? I don't, I honestly don't think so. Not until these later years that I've, um, talked to my father about it, but, uh, my adopted mother was schizophrenic. Okay. So she was really mentally ill to the point where she had multiple personalities. She was hearing voices. Um, that's where all, a lot of the abuse happened. Um, for my sister and I, she, from her, yeah, she was physical abuse, physical, mental, verbal, sexual, all different kinds of abuses. That and your adoptive happened. father was away so much, he probably wasn't around for yeah. a lot of it. And I remember trying to tell him once when I was 11 years old that I, I remember the whole day specifically, and especially that moment, he was sitting in his chair, and Baruti was sitting on the couch, and I was holding Leanne's hand, and Leanne didn't want me to tell. Because it would just be worse right. afterwards. And I said, well, we can't keep living like this. Like yeah. at that time, we were running away a lot, my sister and I. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we ran, ran away quite a few times. And, and then and we, I remember being so afraid that I was stuttering, uh. you know. And um, I said, Dad, I, we really have to tell you something. Um, when you're gone... Mom is really, really mean to us. Like she does things that I don't think that she should do. And um, the look on Broody's face, she was so shocked and appalled that we could even come up with these sort of lies. It must be in their genes to lie, Roger, because I would never do that. I can't believe they would even say things like that about me. And of course, being in his position now that I'm a, a parent myself, you know, who are you going to believe or like you're caught in the middle of your two children and the one that you're married to, you know, and not really knowing a lot that's going on where he, when he's away for months at a time. Well, and he was probably guilt ridden enough as it was that he yeah. was away that, uh, that to not side with her was mm-hmm. even more of a betrayal of their marriage. Yeah. And not only that, I think it's to even compensate for the guilt that he was feeling you know, may, well, if this really is happening and I'm leaving them yeah. with them, you know, a lot of people would turn a blind eye to that yeah. and say, no, that's not really happening. Yeah. So maybe being kicked out at 18 was a bit of a blessing. I mean, you would have uh, wanted to go anyway. Yeah. I I remember feeling really angry um, packing all my things. I kind of knew that she was going to do that. Because she kept hinting towards that. When you're 18, you don't have to be here anymore. All these things. So I started saving money. I, I, pa- I had my bags packed already. And um, before I left, well, she kicked me out probably around 9 or 10 at night. And my birthday is in the, at the end of November. So back then it was like in the middle of winter. Oh, God. Worst time. And... Uh, she went through my bags and took all my money and stuff and just kicked me out. So really I was homeless for at least two or three months before I was able to get a hold of my dad. You and your sister? 
Uh, my sister had already left. She had. Yeah. Where's she gone? Um, she got pregnant at a young age, 15 years old. She started running away then. And um, at that time, I think she was living with some friends of hers. Okay. So you, you sort of lost touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember being worried walking around looking for her, showing her picture to people. Have you seen this girl? You know, it's my sister. Once in a while, we'd run into each other, but a lot of times she stayed uh, stayed away. Life on the street must have been just hideous at that. I mean, hideous at any time, hideous in the winter. Yeah. Um, Were there shelters you could go to? I didn't really know anything about yeah. shelters yeah. or social services or anything like that because the family that I grew up in were well off, so... Um, basically I went from friend's place to friend's place. Okay. You know, that first night I walked around all night because it was already late. I didn't call my friends like, Hey, can I stay over? Ask your parents, you know? Uh, I think it was a school night. So I just walked around all night, stopped in at Huskies to warm mm. up. And, and then, um, the next day I had found some of my friends stay at their place so fast forward you get on the bus and you go home to see your mom yeah what was that day like um i was really excited i was really excited because all my life i had wanted our family back. I knew that we were from somewhere else and that they loved us. And, and I remembered being happy and feeling loved. And, um, so I was really excited, but my sister, I think it has a lot to do the fact that I'm an optimist and a dreamer too, Mm -hmm. you know, an artist. And (laughs) my sister on the other hand is a realist and, uh, a lot more negative than I am. So she, She's the one who brought me down from cloud nine and mm. said, Lauren, you were adopted for a reason. You know, keep that in the back of your mind while you're going all crazy with happiness. You know, there could be things wrong with them that we don't know about, you know, and she had her guard up. Wow. So. But did the guard ever come down? Did you remain optimistic? Um, I remain, mm. remained optimistic. There's not really any stopping me when okay. I, <laughs> you can't really stop me when I'm, on a positive kick, but uh, my sister was never able to get close to any of our family members. So there was more than just your mom. Who was there? We had, It was like a small family reunion. Okay. And small, I'm meaning like about 50 people. Yeah. Of our immediate family showed up. Right. You know, our aunts and uncles. My One of my uncles, my favorite uncle, his name is Andy Desjardins. He was a musician that traveled all over northern Canada to sing and stuff, but he passed away a couple years ago on my birthday, actually. Mm. And um, he had flown in from somewhere. Like they were, they came in from wow. everywhere to come and see who we were. And my brother, my we have an oldest brother whose father had rescued him from being stolen, so he came down mm. before and took. Tom up north to live with him on the trap line and stuff. So Hmm. he, 
my my older brother Tom came. What about the brother that had been that you weren't allowed to speak to when you were in that? Uh, Tony, I had met him before that. Okay. So. In Prince Albert. Yeah. And he was adopted out to a family in Prince Albert. No, no, he was adopted out in uh, Northwest Territories, but he had made his way oh, wow. to PA because he knew you were there. Yeah, I have. I don't really know how all that happened. Huh. I think he must have been in touch with Dorothy. Okay. And then my younger brother came. Right. Our youngest brother came too. So there's five of us, but the four of us had all been able to get together before we met our mother. And okay. And you were meeting straight. I mean, by this point, you're what? Almost nineteen. Still eighteen. Yeah. Soon to be nineteen. You were four when you were taken away. Mm-hmm. These are it's like getting to know complete strangers. Yeah. Yeah. It was exciting in the fact that I wanted to know where I was from. Yeah. And who I looked like and why why is it that I can sing and and do all these things that mm-hmm. my adopted parents can't? Like where am I getting these, you know, abilities from and and uh so on that point it was exciting because a lot of my like my own mother plays a guitar and sings and plays a harmonica and the hand drum and mm. things like that. So did you want to stay? I wanted to stay. Um, my younger sister, there's really no getting close to her, you know, um, even now. So she, she only lets very, very few people into her life. She's very uh, reclusive. One could hardly blame her for that. Yeah. It's true. She, um, I know that she went through a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, be, being that she was on the streets at a lot earlier yeah. of an age than yeah. I was. And um, I know that her and I, we did go through a bout of alcoholism and drug abuse mm-hmm. for about 10 years. And um, when I was 25 years old, a friend of mine heard me singing. And he said, you should learn how to play the guitar. And uh, and I was actually in love with this guy. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if I should <laughs> learn how to play. That's a good way to win brownie points. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I taught myself how to play when I was 26 years old. And um, I was already writing short stories uh, by the time I was six years old. So all the poetry and stuff and writing came into play and turned into music. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Did you know that all episodes of Sascapes can be downloaded or streamed for free? You can find us in the iTunes Store, on Stitcher Radio, and at iHeartCulture.ca. And I'm so excited to announce that Sascapes now has its own app, for both Apple and Android devices. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and have Sascapes at your fingertips with just one easy tap. Remember, we love hearing from you with your feedback in the review section. And now, back to the podcast. Are you still in touch with your... How many of your family are you still in touch with your original family? Um, Pretty much... All of the ones that I've met, except for a few that were not happy that we had come back. I don't I don't really know what that... But your mom? 
Yep, my mom, I talked to her. I, we're actually going to see her in a couple weeks. Oh, great. Yeah, and um, I look like her, which wow. is really, to me, that was shocking. But uh, she's shorter than I am. I have, My dad was really tall, mm-hmm. I, I heard. He's like over six feet, so. Oh, because you had never met your dad. No, he right. passed away before I could meet right, him. Right, right. Yeah. And your adoptive father, mm-hmm. you stayed in contact with yes yeah him and i are um doing a lot better than like growing up he was always my hero because when he was home baruti never hurt us yes you know so i saw him as as safety yeah but then once i got older and i had I kept trying to tell him, like, this is what was happening to us when we were children. It's not the fact that it's in our genes to be alcoholics or stupid or, you know, the things uh-huh. that you may feel or think about me. It's because we went, we had a lot of childhood trauma yeah. and we don't really know how to deal with it or heal from it, yeah. you know. And I've tried telling him that, but at the time he wouldn't listen. And now that he's older, and um, not doing so well uh-huh. in the health department, he is starting to listen more. And uh, I was just talking to him a few days ago about my book, and he read part of it. And he said, "You know, social services did tell us that your adopt or your biological mother was a major alcoholic and pretty much on the streets." And you guys are not being taken care of well. None of which was true. None of which was true. So then how does one expect an apology from him when he thinks that that was the case? Well, that's the thing. Like I, when I talked to my dad and I told him, well, this is, that was the norm for social services to be telling these parents this, uh-huh. you know, and uh, I said, I, by what I see of my family today, a lot of them are their own homeowners. They have great jobs. They, you know, they have their their life together. How is it that they're all alcoholics then? Uh-huh. Because I see some of my friends who have fallen and into alcoholism and stuff, and a lot of them are dead. A lot of them are still on the streets. A lot of them, you know, like I had actually just saw a friend of mine that I was friends with when I was younger and she was um, picking cans out of the garbage, you know. So to go from somebody like that to owning your own home mm-hmm. and, you know, paying all your bills and, all, and having your life together, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. So obviously somebody was lying. Yeah. So I'm sorry never came out of your father's or your adopted father's mouth? Um, just recently was the first time he had not acknowledged the fact that, you know, he was partly to blame for leaving us with, with his wife that had continually abused us for 15 years of our lives or, you know, 12 years of our lives. And, and um, I told him, you know, there are horrific stories of the things that Leanne and I went through that I really don't want to tell you because it would break your heart. Because you know? Brady's no longer alive? 
She is. She Where is, is she? She lives in Winnipeg with her sister. But okay. we haven't had any contact with her for close to 10 years, seven years about. And she just completely disowned us. And so you're not wanting to reveal what really happened to your dad is to not break his heart. Yeah, I don't want to hurt him. Mm-hmm. I mean... Despite the fact that you've been hurt tremendously. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't factor into how you heal that kind of purging, you're at least telling your story of what really happened to people who listen, who that you don't have that attachment to of feeling like you're yeah. going to hurt. Yeah. Do you think he'll ever hear? Um, if he, if I finish my book right. and he reads it, he decide if he's brave enough to read it, then he'll hear it. But I really don't want to be the one to tell him because I know if I do go down that path, I know that I wouldn't be able to contain my tears or a feeling. I might have, you know, lingering feelings of resentment and anger towards him. Um, We were estranged for about a year before this. And then uh, he, he got sick and he wanted to see me, wanted to talk to me. And then that's where we're kind of building on that now. And it's harder when the person is sick because you have a level of compassion for them. Mm -hmm. But I'm at a point in my life, you know, through the arts and, and, um, I've been through four years of counseling, you know, through the health region Mm -hmm. and mental Mm -hmm. health region. And, and, um, I've come to a point in my life where I've forgiven them, Mm -hmm. my adopted mother and father for the things that we went through and I know, you know, I just talked to my dad and he he said that he feels so guilty and so full of shame that he was a part of this stealing kids from their own parents mm-hmm. and a lot of them not knowing because social services would literally drive down a road in, in, um, on the reserves or in small Métis pounds and see kids and lure them into their cars with candy and then they'd be gone no words to their parents or anything just kidnapped gone you know it has been described as a cultural genocide Mm -hmm. maybe not such an exaggeration i don't think so i think um you know i'm still at a point in my life where i really feel like i don't belong anywhere I mean, I try hard to educate my, myself about our culture, about um, the history of Canada, what really happened. And, um, and through my public speaking, I try and pass that knowledge on. And for people just to learn how to be proud of who they are mm-hmm. and to live, live out their dreams, the, the people that they're supposed to be, live that out, Mm -hmm. you know, and not be afraid of it. Are you living your life waiting for some kind of a public apology from the government? No. Would it matter? No. I really, in a way, I I think it's more of like a slap in the face. I honestly Uh feel that way because of all the stuff I've ever been through and all you're going to say is sorry. Well, it's not okay. It really is not okay. Um, I've, I have gone through so much to 
get where I am in my life now. But compared to other people, it's not on the outside. It's not anywhere really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't own my own home. Mm-hmm. I don't have like a steady income career. You know, the things that my dad wanted me to have, mm-hmm. you know, to go to university and do all these things. I was so hurt and traumatized on the inside that none of that really mattered to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, not too late. No, life's no, not over yet. It isn't. I mean, I am working towards things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to go back to university. I was actually going to become a social worker, mm-hmm. but then I have a flair for music and art mm-hmm. and um, drama and uh, writing and stuff. So I think I'm going to go in that direction. Okay. You want to sing me a song? Sure. This is a song that I wrote. Uh, for my mother. Hmm. About she, my mother. Did she hear it? No, she hasn't heard it yet. It's called Fire and Water. She cries her tears of desperation. She tells a story. She's 
Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with me. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to hear, but you seem to be in a peaceful place and you seem happy. Yes, I'm very happy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created and hosted by Kevin Power for Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lottery's Trust Fund for Sport, Culture, and Recreation. For more information, visit iheartculture.ca and sasculture.ca. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There's no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...